0: Thank you. Um, a while ago I was watching, um, really, probably my favorite television program of the week, and I will tell you this morning it's up there. I love. Nothing. We got, there we go. I love Jeopardy! Um I really enjoy the challenge of the questions, and sometimes in the games I do pretty well, and other times some categories like U.S. presidents or something. I don't know anything about that. And if you're familiar with Jeopardy!, you know that you answer in the form of a question. Got it? So one night I was watching, it was a college championship. These are some of the very greatest young people from top um, U.S. universities, just smart, smart kids from Harvard and all kinds of places. The main category that we were going with, are we having some difficulties? Okay. There we go. The main category we got this night, I thought, I gotta do well in this. The main category is Bible. We got Bible? There we go. So I thought, surely, surely, I can do well in the Bible category. The statement to be answered was this. The Lord is my... Okay. Now, it failed. Answer it in jeopardy form. Who is my shepherd? Okay, remember it's a question. That's how you get it, alright? You know what? None of them knew the answer. None of these bright young people could answer that. From the probably the best known psalm in the Bible. And as we'll see this morning, the best known picture of Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. So to put some biblical framework to this, turn with me if you, Bibles are. However, you follow me in the morning. To John chapter ten, John chapter ten, familiar picture of Jesus. I'm going to read about sixteen verses or so. John chapter ten. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He knows his, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out all in his own, he goes ahead of them. The sheep will follow him because they know his voice. By the way, that's a phrase that repeats through this um, um, section. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus again said to them, Very truly I say to you, I am the gate of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and they may have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, is not the shepherd, and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man who runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I will lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that they are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. To the... It's discussion discussable what Jesus might have meant by that. They too will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. And when Jesus uses this picture, he, he's drawing the picture that's probably the most common, the most frequently used metaphor or picture in the Bible. Sheep were as common in their world as cars and computers are in ours. And everyone would instantly relate to their, really their meaning. Our problem is that most of us are city folks. And we don't really know a whole whole lot about sheep, except kind of they say, Bah, and again. Some years ago in New York, a man called Carl Burke was trying to paraphrase some of the scriptures for the kids in the street gangs in the streets of New York. And so he began to work out of the 23rd Psalm and try to use a picture and say, See the young people, these gang kids, the Lord's like your, your shepherd. Who's this shepherd? Didn't know. Well, the Lord is like your father who goes to work and works hard and comes back and brings home the money and you can buy food and cares for you. Some of these kids said, you know, we don't know who our father is. He's been gone for so many years. Well, the Lord is like your mother um, who goes to work and works hard and brings money back and cares for you and cooks nice dinners and meals and keeps the house nice. And some of these kids said, you know, my mother turns tricks and I really don't know much about her. She just comes and goes. So, Carl Burke, uh, this, he was a pastor, street pastor. So, who is the one person who has shown you some love and care and interest, whatever? And a number of these kids said, the only person showing any interest in us is our probation officer. So, Carl Burke re paraphrased, rewrote the 23rd Psalm. And it begins, The Lord is like my probation officer. Only one who's shown some care. Here's a quick overview of just how common this theme of shepherd is in the Bible. Let me just survey this for you very quickly. The, the shepherd of Israel is God Himself. That's what He calls Himself. Psalm twenty three is probably the best known Psalm in all the Bible amongst Christians. All through the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the sheep of God's pastor. We read that this morning in Psalm ninety five, our call to worship. In the book of Isaiah, it says, All oh, we like sheep of God astray. When God was looking for a leader to take the people out of Egypt, he found Moses, and Moses was doing what? He was tending sheep. When God was looking for the king for a nation, he found a young shepherd boy called David. When they wanted an audience for the birth of Jesus, for the nativity, they invited some shepherds who were nearby in some fields. When people are lost and confused in their life, Jesus said they're like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus told a trilogy, three stories about lost things. There was a, a lost sheep, and a lost coin, and a lost son. When Peter, when, so when Jesus told Peter once again to take up the challenge of discipleship after his failure at the crucifixion, he changed and transformed the fisherman into a shepherd, and he said to him, "Go and feed my sheep." When Peter wrote to the leaders of the church much later, he reminded them they're shepherds, and he said to them, "Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care." Watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing honest gain, in other words, you're not to make profit money out of this, but eager to serve. Not lording it to those entrusted to you, in other words, you're not the boss over the church, but you're examples to the flock. And As we'll see a little later this morning, the challenge given to church leaders to be shepherds of God's flock is under your care. Because from God's point of view, the church is not a business that needs better managers. The church is the flock of God that needs better shepherds. That's what he says. Those are just a few of the many, many references scattered through the scriptures. And what we'll see this morning is we'll see the connection between the ministry of Jesus, who is the good shepherd, what that means for him. And how that transfers and is connected to the ongoing shepherd ministry that's to take place in the church and by its leaders. No one can repeat what Jesus does perfectly. Let's just understand that. It stands alone. It is unique. But the shepherd ministry of Jesus, unique as it is, does not come to an end. The work of Jesus is continued and passed on, the shepherd's cloak, the shepherd's staff, the shepherd's crook, is given to the pastoral ministry of the leaders of the church, and in fact, to the church itself. This morning's often call them three just broad brushstrokes. We'll connect the ministry of Jesus, the good shepherd, to what really has to happen in the church. So, we make that connection, and then into communion this morning. Jesus calls us for what I've called his perfect intimacy. Jesus is the one who knows us the best. He knows us perfectly. He calls us from his perfect intimacy into the fellowship community of the church. Remember the bar in Boston, Tears, where everybody knows your name. That sounds great. We all, None of us wants to be lonely. We want people to know who we are. But you need to understand there's a vital difference between being alone, which can actually at times be a healthy thing, and being lonely. There are times that we need to know how to be alone. But we do not somehow need people all the time. It's important to be able to be alone with ourselves. And Jesus knew the value of being alone. But the fear that many of us have is not being alone, it's being lonely. You can be in the middle of a crowd. Uh, You can be here at church this morning and still be lonely. So not again, churches think, well, well, what if we just give everybody name tags going in the door? Now you would be a lonely person with a name tag. But several times, in fact, a number of times in this passage, Jesus says, I know my sheep. I know who you are. Jesus offers us what I'll call this morning a deep intimacy. He means I really know you. I know who you are on the inside, not just your name. I care about you. I understand you. You have worth and value to me. I know who you are. I tried to find one on the internet this week and just couldn't. But now and again, remember the story about Jesus, the 99 sheep? He counts. The shepherd counts. Remember that story from the Gospels? You know, the sheep are coming back in 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. There's one missing. Remember that story? And it's usually turned into posters for children's bedrooms. I'm not trying to make fun of this, but it's usually turned into posters in children's bedrooms where this um, almost blonde, fair-skinned, blue-eyed Jesus Jesus was not fair-skinned and blue-eyed coming from where he came from. And there's this picture of Jesus who has gone out to find the one who was lost, and he's coming back, and he's holding this tiny, cute, cuddly little lamb. Oh. Oh. Forget it. That's not the point of the story or the picture. picture is wrong. When Jesus went and told the story of the shepherd who goes and finds that sheep, he brings back something that is heavy and smelly and wet and dirty. And he did it for one reason. It was valuable. Not pretty or cute. Valuable. Jesus says, I know the worth that each one of us has. When David writes uh, what we call Psalm 139, he says, you created my own being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. The only time that word's used in the Bible, and it's this sense of, of being knitted together. I praise you, he says, because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, I know you full well, my frame was not hidden from you and when I was made in that secret place. And when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, he says, your eyes saw my unformed body. It's it's got this marvelous intimate picture that God is even able to see us in the womb as we're being unpacked, as we're being unfolded. That's what he says. That's intimacy. David's saying, even in the darkness of the womb, God sees my unformed body still being unfolded. It's one of the most sensitive thoughts that you will ever find in the Psalms. I have a confession to make to you this morning. Boy, that got real quiet. I'm not on Facebook. I don't really plan to be on Facebook. Seems to me that you can have a whole lot of friends on Facebook that you never meet. And have never met you. It's a kind of faceless intimacy. Which is really not some moron. Friendship with people you've never met. Requires no vulnerability. Today there's someone who says to you, I know who you are. I know deeply inside who you are. How you're wired, how you're made, how you've been unfolded. That's perfect intimacy. Now that needs to be translated into the life of the church. Who do you know, really know, here at BCBC? Even if we gave you all name tags every Sunday morning, we would be people who would know each other's names, but actually might, not, might know very little about who we are. Tim Keller, is a pastor in New York, says in a challenging way, he says, if you're not part of a small group, you're not really part of the church. Someone else said, it's in small groups that people get close enough to know each other, to care, to share, to challenge, to support, to confide, to confess, to forgive and be forgiven, to laugh and to weep, to be accountable to each other, to watch over each other, and to grow together. Jesus can know us intimately. And we will know each other honestly only in part. But we can know each other better in the community of small groups. This is where we can know each other as best as we can. If you faced a crisis this week, maybe in the middle of the night, if your spouse, your husband or wife, had a heart attack, or your house was on fire, after 911, who would you call? Who would you call? Would it be someone here in this church, in this fellowship, this community, that you'd pick up the phone and say, we need your help right now. Can I say this morning, if you're here and feeling unconnected, perhaps nobody knows your name. Jesus knows who you are. But beyond that, the shepherd asks you to take a step forward this week, maybe into a small group. I'll tell you, for some of us, that can be a risky step. Maybe you've been burnt there before. Maybe you're just shy. But you will get better care there than anywhere else, because there will be people who know more than your name. Jesus knows you. Let's add to that. Jesus calls us from His perfect safety to the care and the protection of the church. And John 17, as Jesus is praying to the return of the Father, he says, "While I was with them talking about His disciples, He says, "I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me." One of the responsibilities of the shepherd was obviously to guard and protect the sheep. Thieves and robbers and people who were just in it for the money would run away since so Jesus was the first sign of trouble. There were people out there in his day and in our day who will kill and destroy. They have no qualms about leaving people wounded and ripped off, bankrupt and broke. Jesus says to his disciples, I will always be in guard for your life. Jesus recorded their lives and our lives so valuable that he gave his life on the cross for us. Jesus kept his followers safe. He protected them. And then he says in John chapter 17 again, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one even as we are one. He says, I protected them, but I don't even... One of the major responsibilities today of church leaders, as pastors and elders and deacons and so on, is to create an environment of safety and protection so that the church, both the building, but obviously the community of people, the relationships, will be a safe place for people. When Paul um, had spent three years in the church at Ephesus, he was there longer than anywhere else. And then he's down on the dock and he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. He says to them in Acts chapter 20, he says, keep watch over yourselves. He says to the leaders, the elders, he says, watch over yourselves. Keep watch over yourselves. And all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds, he says, of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Because I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. He's talking about man theologically who would come into the church. And it's the responsibility of church leaders to teach truth and to keep people safe. To keep them safe morally. To keep them safe spiritually. To keep them safe relationally. And to be on guard as they were of the doors of the church so that people are kept safe, just as Jesus the shepherd kept his flock safe. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, was a Lutheran pastor and was executed... Um, and orders of Himmler in April 1945, just before the concentration camp he was in was liberated. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, um, writes in his little book about community and fellowship. If you're not familiar with it, it's a thoughtful little book called Life Together. Bonhoeffer writes this great one-liner. He says, Satan demands to have a man. Please understand that also means woman. Satan demands to have a person by themselves. You got that? Satan demands to have a man, a woman, by themselves. He means that when we try to live alone, when we try to go it alone, we are vulnerable, exposed, and open to attack. Jesus kept his followers safe close to his side. And when he left this earth to return to the Father, in addition to the Holy Spirit who is with all of us, he gave our lives into the protection of the shepherds and the care of one another. And he calls all of us this morning into the care and the protection of his flock. If someone enters the flock here at BCBC with some teaching or something that will harm the flock, it is the task of leaders to confront that sin and that error. And as it were, if necessary, to show them the door. I've done that in churches. I've done that theologically. and said to someone, you need to leave. I've done that physically. To say to somebody, there's the door, you need to leave. We had a large, large service in Lambrecht for some years called The Place. Five, six hundred. Mostly college-age young people came. It's kind of a wild rock and roll service. The music's off the wall and whatever. But um, I went some nights and I got a phone call one week from the Victoria Police who knew me. For nice reasons, they knew me. Thought I'd explain that. And they said to me, Tom, we've heard um,
1: you've got this big
0: thing with college, university students up in your church Sunday nights. We've heard that there are some pimps coming on Sunday nights to look for new girls to turn out into the streets and work for them. I thought to myself, I wonder where I was in seminary when they taught you what to do with that. There are pimps coming to our church on Sunday nights to look for new girls to turn on other streets. It is the job of leaders to protect people. Everybody from that. So what do we do? Well, We had four or five cops who came to our congregation as part of their family worship. So I said, do you know who these guys are? And they said, oh yeah, we know who they are. So I said to them, I need you to come two or three Sunday nights and be at the door. And when you see them come in, say to them, we know who you are.
1: We know what you want.
0: And you're not welcome here. That's what we did. They came to the door, said to some of these guys, if you're looking for new girls to turn out, these are young girls, first time I've been home at university, all that stuff. Then there's the door, and you're not welcome here. It is the job of leaders to protect the church. We cannot, we must not, let someone who's a thief or a robber come in and plunder the church. Don't struggle alone. Don't try to live alone. Find protection and safety in the church. One last idea. Jesus calls us from his perfect sacrifice into service in the church. Three times in this passage in John chapter 10. Jesus says he would be the kind of good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. Although this is motivated by love, let's just understand there's nothing romantic or sentimental about this sacrifice. The good shepherd becomes the lamb who was sacrificed. Three times Jesus says he will give up his life for the sheep. And that is a unique role that none of us can do. None of us can repeat in the way that Jesus did it. But this exact phrase about Jesus giving up his life is used once again in John chapter 3. Here's where it comes. And we know what love is by this. Jesus Christ <coughs> laid down his life for us. Now that's obviously a sacrifice on the cross. In the exact phrase in the Greek text it then says, and we have to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What does he mean? He goes on to explain. What laying down our lives means? If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, he goes on to ask a question. How then can the love of God be in that person? Because by the love of God that Jesus laid down his life on the cross, we're called to lay down our lives, and we're called to do that, John says, by laying down our material possessions for our brothers and sisters in need. I noticed when I was reading that some time ago, if you see on the text, it says in one verse, there's plural, brothers and sisters, and then the next verse is singular. Now, why is that? Here's my idea. It's kind of like, it's like the person that says, you know, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. It is so easy for us to say, I just love everybody in the church. I love everybody here at BCBC. But sacrifice gets down and dirty when it gets specific. Sacrifice gets down and dirty when we have to put a specific name to it. And I think that's why John says, we're called to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's everybody in general. But then when we see a brother and sister in need... That means a specific person. That means a name. That means a face. And if we don't have pity on them, how can the love of God be in us? We see someone in need. We may have in our hands the material possessions. That's not always just money. Sometimes it's time. It may be information. It may be money. Whatever it is. And you understand John is teaching us that we continue the sacrifice of Jesus we continue the shepherd sacrifice of Jesus every time we engage in an act of service in His name. The shepherd who lays down his life for us that you need asks us also to lay down time and money, effort. And when we do that, we are continuing His sacrifice. So in a moment we come to communion. And at the heart of it we remember the work of the good shepherd who knows us intimately, who protects us, And who gives his life for us. But this very act of communion, even by its name, communion, is not an individual event. You understand this morning with me, it is personal, but not individual. It's to be much more than a lonely or solitary experience. We share this bread and wine in the company of people who are called to know one another. Where we're called to watch out for one another. Where we're called to protect one another. Where we're called to care for each other. And we're called to meet as brothers and sisters. And when we call each other that, to serve one another and to meet one another's needs. So when we take this morning the bread and wine from someone, and when we pass it on, we are receiving from them the shepherd ministry of Jesus. And we're passing on the shepherd ministry of Jesus. The ministry of the Good Shepherd to someone else. This is a personal moment. But it's not an individual moment. It's not to be a lonely moment. Communion is a time of community. So if the worship team comes, Cindy's going to come and lead us this morning.